This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. I've been invited to the second floor of 63 West Street, and this is the first time I've been up here. I am with Ann Alsina from Covington Alsina. How are you? I am excellent, but I am going to give you a little correction. We're at 67 West Street. 67. I think 63 is the new tattoo parlor going in, which is also a cool, interesting not, not thing. A, not a bad place to go, too. Yeah. Six, yeah. 67 West Street. We're a little less painful here. Okay. <laughs> do you have a marketing deal with them next door? Can I? I keep thinking we should do that, right? Like get your financial plan, open an IRA, get a tattoo. That right? would work. Like I saved. That, that, right? <laughs> that would work. And Alcina, as anybody that's listening to this knows, is the uh, voice and the face that I'm looking at anyhow behind the Money Monday report. would like to say that you've uh, talked me down off of ledges periodically because you're very soothing and realistic and calming. And certainly we know that the markets have been incredibly volatile over the last, you know, probably three or four months, certainly as we headed into the election. But we wanted to sit here and talk about financial planning a little bit because it's so important uh, in these days that, you know, the, and there's so many different aspects of it. And when I was growing up, you know, I, I don't think financial planners existed. I mean, uh, I think they were called bankers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and that was what it was. I mean, you, you turned around and if you had any kind of, you know, substantial money, you would invest it in a bank. And typically, a bank would be the one that would sort of manage it and figure out how to loan it out to whoever they want to loan it out and, and pay your money. But that's all really been turned on its on its head a little bit. Now we've got this whole new industry of financial planners who are really, you know, taking charge of what people say is like the greatest generational transfer of wealth that we're seeing. And obviously, the goal is to have as much money as you possibly can. Uh, to, you know, when you die or when you want to pass on to your children or whoever you want to do it, right? Is that pretty much where we are? Um, so a couple of things. We are definitely looking at a huge intergenerational transfer of wealth. It's probably going to be over a trillion dollars as eventually the baby boomers pass on or even the silent generation passes on and we transfer that wealth to the next generation. That's a lot of money in motion. Um, but I will say that my goal has never been necessarily that we have a certain amount of money right? That someone has, oh, well, I need X amount of dollars. It's really, I want this lifestyle. And then the money is the tool to get you to that lifestyle. So it's not the money as a goal itself. It's what that money enables you to do. Fair. I, I always say money, money's a lubricant, right? It makes life easy, right? Okay. And money is also a magnifying glass. If you're a really good person and you have a lot of money, you're probably going to do some really good things. And if you're a jerk with money, yeah. You're a much bigger jerk. <laughs> <laughs> we all we all know one or two of those, I think. Just but, a few. Well, that's that's a really good way of looking at it, and I think I was probably incorrect when I sat there and said, "Is I'm, I must have a million dollars by the time I'm dying." But I mean, you know, you certainly want to have enough money to last your lifetime, and then depending on your level of jerkiness, whether you want to do something good with whatever is left over or take it all with you, if you will. Absolutely. Where does the whole financial planning start in the lifetime? Um, I mean, I know that you know older older folks is is a, is a no brainer. But does this start on? I mean, I, I had a savings account with a little punch card when I was in third grade, and I don't think they exist anymore, along with the Dewey Decimal System in the library. But you know, where where does saving for retirement, and which I know my kids are all just out of college, is just so far away for them and it's almost a foreign concept but where should people start to think about savings 
and so, investing. So hopefully people are starting to think about savings when their kids are first born, right? Um, in Maryland, we're really fortunate that we have a great 529 that's a college savings plan. Um, and they even offer a match for people under a certain income level. You put money in, the state's going to kick in money as well. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's a really great tax-advantaged way to save. You get a Maryland state tax deduction. You can fund private school through that. There's some really cool things. So theoretically, we should start saving um, when we're first born. We get that social security number, and, and somebody should be saving on our behalf. Um, after that, I think a great thing to do is we do a middle school workshop for kids to talk about how do you earn money, what can you do with your money, and we say there's four things you can spend, save, give, and invest. And we talk a little bit about the difference between saving and investing. Um, and my feeling is that as soon as you're able to earn income, you can open a Roth IRA. Okay. Right? Especially if you're making a couple hundred dollars a year as a kid doing babysitting or lawn mowing, dog walking. You could put that money into the Roth because the Roth IRA has some really cool tax advantages. Um, and just if you want to go out to uh, Galway Bay, do some trivia, the Roth IRA comes from Senator Roth from Delaware. Okay. Right? That's where we right, get right, that right. name. Um, I always say that's a great way to win a trivia contest right. is to know who, who, why we call it a Roth IRA. And that's money that you've put in that you've already paid taxes on. But if I'm 14 and I've made $200, I'm not paying any taxes. Taxes on that. Yeah. So I can put in $200, right? That money's going to continue to grow tax deferred, right? When I'm in retirement, I can take it out tax-free, right? And then what's super cool about it is once I've had it five years, I can take out all my contributions with no taxes or penalties. So let's say I'm a 14-year-old and I've been putting some money up. Maybe when I get out of college or maybe I need some money for grad school. You can also take money out for higher education with no taxes or penalties. You can take money out for a first-time home purchase. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really flexible savings vehicle that you can do a lot of really neat things with. And if you started at 14, at 19, you've hit that fight five-year mark. So let's take a first-time home buyer at age 30 or so that may have worked from age 14 to maybe they didn't have a full-time job until they got out of college if they went to college. So they got seven years of, of contributions, perhaps significantly tax-free contributing to, and that's been able to grow for all that time. I mean, you've probably got yourself a fairly good chunk of change for a down payment on a house. Yeah, it's not bad. So the contributions can come out tax-free once you've had it five years. There are some limitations. I want to say, I'd have to look. It's ten or 15000 I think, that you can take out for a first-time home purchase of your gains. Okay. But even still. It's, it's tax, right? tax-free. and it's Tax-free. It's a great savings vehicle. And again, what's really cool about it is that you're taking a kid and teaching them about investing and about that long road and getting them started. Right? I always say, you know, when I was working as a kid, if somebody told me when I was... 14, that, hey, you should put aside 10% of everything you make. You're laughing. Well, and, and, but think about how much money you fritter away as a teenager, you know, right? Is, what did you spend your money on my, as a teenager? My, my story is, is that I used to attend bar uh, when I got out of college, and I was making two to $400 cash per night. And had I been smart enough, and that proves that I wasn't, uh, I would have saved it or done it and invested. I could have bought my first house for cash. <laughs> Um, but I know I, I didn't. I, I traveled with it. I ate out. I tipped very well. I drank it. I smoked it. I probably sniffed it. I don't, you know, who knows? And you wasted what... the rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, honestly, it was, it was a great lifestyle. It was a great period of my life. But financially, you know, I had nothing to show for it. And that, that is a huge regret in my life that I wasn't smart enough to think about that. 
Yeah. So it's something that, you know, as Americans, we don't really do a good job of teaching financial literacy in this country. And people are afraid to talk about it. People are uncomfortable to talk about it. Maybe you don't know enough to talk to your kids about it. But if you can get somebody young into that habit of just setting aside 10%. It's not that much. No. It's not that much. I know my, my kids are starting to, you know, in the workforce now. And as raises are coming, I'm like, you've survived on this salary. So let's take your raise. And, and you want to raise. I mean, you want to make sure that, you know. So take half of it and try to put it someplace where you're going to ignore it. And now you've got, you still got a raise. You can still go out. And, you know, I've also told them too, I said, you know, I know you're not making big, huge bucks, but, you know, when you want, need to celebrate something, go out and buy a good bottle of wine, go get a good steak or something like that. You don't need to live like a pauper if, if you've got that. But to, to do that, to put it aside and forget about it, which is, the easiest thing to do. That's not the easiest thing to do, but it's very easy to watch your money grow when you do forget about it. Right. I'm, I'm going to ask you to just stop giving such good advice because you're going to put me out of business, John. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> People can just listen to John. No, um, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's great why, That's why I don't have to buy that insurance that, that you probably have to have to buy. That's why I don't have to go at the end of every podcast and go, whatever it is that you say, okay? All right, so that's... Yeah, that, that is exactly the, the same advice we often give people. When you get that raise, keep part of it for yourself. Reward yourself, but then put part of it away. And right now what we've seen, you know, we saw it through the 0809 financial crisis, and we are certainly seeing it with COVID and the shutdowns and, and the economic devastation we've seen on the small business level and especially in the service industry. We've always said um, as a financial planning industry, you should have at least three months of living expenses saved in cash. After the 0809 crisis, when so many people were struggling to get reemployed or to get employed at the same level they were before, as an industry, we've really shifted to six months of living expenses to be able to fund yourself for six months. Uh, well, I had always heard six months, and that's is that, and I had thought that had gone out of favor, but that is back in favor again. Absolutely. Now, I usually don't say to someone to keep six months of living expenses sitting in your savings account, but you know, definitely keep three months in your savings account or in a money market somewhere that you don't see it. Okay. And then the rest very conservatively invested that you can get to. Um, It's important that you don't see it. That is critical. And what I teach people when we're trying to build savings, right? Because most Americans don't have it. A lot of us live paycheck to paycheck. We have a comfortable life, but there's not a lot of cushion. Sure. So what I teach people is even if it's $10 a paycheck, maybe it's $1,000 a paycheck, whatever your number is. Have it, if you can, do a direct deposit from your paycheck into a separate account that you don't see. There's a tremendous amount of research that if I open my bank account and I see I've got $10,000 in it, now I mentally know, well, five grand of that's my savings and I've got to pay my rent and I've got cable and groceries and I really have about $600 of discretionary income out of that. I could go to the store and spend $600 and not impact myself or go out to dinner or pick up a bar tab. I have $600. And I go to the store and someone else who has $600 in their bank account goes to the store, I'm going to spend more because my subconscious isn't thinking $600. You're thinking $10,000. My subconscious is screaming, we got $10,000, baby. Let's roll. Yeah. I would say that you also, if you can suppress it on your app, your bank app or whatever it is, so you you literally don't see it. Absolutely. They should do that. Banks should offer a, um, a a no statement plan. You know, where they don't send you the statement, but once a year or at the end of the tax year or something, I so say you really don't see it. I know 
as as the economy dipped a little bit, I know my kids were saying, "Oh my God!" I looked at my four hundred one k statement. I'm like, "Don't do that." <laughs> you know? you know? don't, don't do that now. When you know that when you know the economy is shaky, you just don't look at it. It's it makes for a bad night. I always tell people it's like being on the roller coaster. You grab on really, really tight. You close your eyes really, really tightly. And you just ignore the fact that your stomach is somewhere over your head. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, how does investing, savings, and planning change as you go through life? Okay, we need to start in middle school when, we, or when we're first able to, to work. But, you know, you look at different phases of life. I mean, I've gone through, you know, students I've gone through as a young single adult, as a young married couple, young married couple with kids, uh, medium married couple with kids. I don't know if that's the right term. You know, single parent, and now I'm, you know, personally, I'm an empty nester at this point. And I've got to imagine that the way I look at savings and obviously retirement, if it ever comes for me, is a little bit sooner now than it was 20 years ago. What are the different ways that you need to look at investing through as somebody ages? Uh, so there's two different pieces to that, right? Um, there's planning and saving which is I want to have emergency savings. I want to make sure I'm bringing in less than I'm spending or bringing in more than I'm spending, sorry, spending less than I bring in, right? That I have my good insurance coverages, that I'm well protected, right? That's my base of my financial plan. And that's going to be kind of the same no matter what level I'm at. Then we get into investing. And when you're young, it's really hard to say, oh yeah, I know that I'm going to need this much money a month in retirement and I'm going to live here and this is what I want my life to look like, right? You're 20-something. You have no, like 65, 70 is so far away. So at that point, investing is really about putting aside money, usually in an employer-sponsored plan if you're fortunate enough to have one, getting that match if you can, and being aggressive with it. If you're 20-something, go as aggressive as you can and let that money go, right? Let it ride and grow with the market over time. We often see when people first have kids, right? That we kind of have to stop saving quite so much, Sure. right? Daycare is expensive, particularly if you're under two, right? And so we see people kind of, they slow down their savings, they stop saving, they dip into savings, right. <laughs> and then the kids are in cheaper daycare, and then they're in preschool, and then they're in elementary school. And so then we start to see going back up and replenishing, maybe even paying off some debt we occurred um, when the kids were little. And we kind of dig out of that hole and we build back our savings. And then as the kids get older, well, now we're saving for college as well. But we're able to start as our jobs get better, we get promotions and raises, our income increases, we can start saving and investing more. And then eventually the kids are gone. And those are typically your peak earning years. Mm -hmm. And so that's an opportunity, if you're behind the curve, to really sock money away, right? If you're 50, you've even got a catch-up opportunity in your sure. retirement accounts, right, that the IRS allows us, that Congress has given us. But even if you, maybe you're on track, maybe those extra years when the kids are gone, you do like you do with the raise. Well, the kids are gone. I've got some extra money. I can travel a little more, enjoy life a little more. But I'm also going to put more money away. And that becomes the cherry on the Sunday in retirement. Yeah. No, well, I, I totally see that because right now, as being an empty nester, I, I do find that I have a little bit more discretional income myself, if you will. And, um, you know, not that it's rolling in the dough or anything like that, but it's it's definitely a lot more than if I had, you know, three kids at home feeding, eating, and, you know, Oh, I'm out of gas in my car type things. And that's... Uh, that's always the big key. When people say my kids are grown and out of the house, I say, are they still on the cell phone plan? Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm just going to be excited when I get my daughter off my Starbucks app. <laughs> that's true. Connected to the Amex card or something like that and goes from there. You, you'd mentioned savings and you'd mentioned investing. 
What is the difference on that? And and I totally agree with you as far as financial literacy is something that uh, needs to be addressed in the schools, which isn't. Uh, you know, just and and there's a lot of all sorts of life skills. I had one kid ask me one time said the stamp goes in the upper right corner of the envelope, right? Because this is somebody that's you know, I mean, grown up in the world of emails, and right. you know, you know, they it, didn't have pen pals. They yeah, have- it's like, hey, just write me a check for the money you owe me. I don't have a check. Can't I much, much, you? Much, much less know how the hell to write it out. So, where what what is the difference between? savings and investing. I mean, isn't that the same thing? I mean, I'm putting money in the bank and earning my, what, half a percent interest or something? Like if you that. can find a bank that's paying a half a percent interest, I'd like to know about it. <laughs> um, so typically we separate the two that savings is more of a short term, right? Savings and not your emergency savings, obviously we want to keep for a while, but it's short term, it's liquid, right? Um, and it's very secure. Like you said, it, maybe it's earning a half a percent right now. Investing by definition is a long-term proposition, Right. When someone says to me, Anne, I need to park some money, you know, I, I sold this house. We're probably going to buy a new one in a year or two. Put it in the money market. Um, if you look at the history of the market and typically when we talk about the market and if you listen to our uh, Monday talk, the market, usually we define that by saying the S&P 500, which is just an index of 500 big U.S. companies that Standard & Poor's say represent the U.S. economy. And if we look at the market as defined by that, typically one out of every three years is a negative year in the market. So if I'm going to invest for two or three years, odds are at least one of those is going to be negative, right? I'm going to lose money. But if you go further out, there are fewer five-year periods, right? Meaning I put my money in and I hold it for five years where it's a negative. If I go out to 10 years, there's a handful in the history of the U.S. markets that we have a negative 10-year return. 08, 09 was certainly a negative 10-year return. We have never had a negative 15 or 20-year run in the stock market. Okay, and certainly an individual stock. But if you're in a broadly diversified portfolio, right, if you just own the S&P 500, which you can't invest into an index directly. I know that's always in our disclosures. Yeah. Um, But if if you were to hold right that there's never been a 15 or 20 year period where you would have lost money. So if you're a young person, you can be really, really aggressive when that market goes down. If you're still buying into the market, that's the best thing in the world for you. Now I'm buying stuff on sale. Right. That's that's, 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 That's the whole, you know, sell high, buy low. Yeah. So, so if I'm a young person and the market dips, heck, if I'm 50 and the market dips and I'm still buying in, that's phenomenal, right? I, I always say that buying low feels like eating cold, mushy peas. It's healthy, but it really tastes, tastes bad. bad. Well, a question then, how do, you, how do you buy? I mean, I know I can go across the, st- or, you know, across the street to the bank and I can say, hey, I'd like to open up a savings account. And I give them the 12 cents I have in my pocket and they open up the savings account. How do I take that twelve cents or that ten dollars or hundred dollars or whatever it is and put it into a market? I mean, you're a financial planner. Do I come up here and just like slide it through your mail slot? Usually, we pull stuff electronically these days because most people don't have checks. Okay. But <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> so I don't know if this is the time to get into the, the industry as a whole. But traditionally, we had brokers, right? A stock broker. If you remember, my broker ZF Hutton, right, right. Um, and so a broker is going to be somebody who buys and sells stocks or bonds for you on a commission. Right. And sometimes that that word gets a bad rap. People say, oh, they're commissioned. Well, I'm fee only. That doesn't mean you're not a crook. (laughs) Just how you get paid. Right. right? I always say Bernie Madoff was a fee only advisor. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Right. Um, And the compensation is sometimes not all that different. 
right? So you have, you have to think about that, about the person you're working with. But traditionally, a broker is someone, and they're going to sell you um, either individual securities, a stock or a bond, or they can sell you a mutual fund, which is how most people get started. And so a mutual fund, we're all going to pool our money. I'm going to put in $100. You're going to put in $50. Teresa's putting in $500. Tim's going to put in $20. But we put all of our money in, and there's a manager who's buying or selling stocks or bonds with all of our money together. It's a mutual pool of money, a mutual fund, right? right? Um, And that's a little bit easier for people to get into because I can buy a part of a share. I don't have to buy one share of Apple at $125. I can put in $25 into a mutual fund. Okay. Right? And now I'm getting 150 probably different stocks. Versus one. Right. So it much more diversified. Now, you can still lose money, right? It can go down. But it definitely does diversify some and gives you exposure to many different stocks. You can get in for a partial share. You don't have to buy a whole share. And so that's an easy way to start investing. So you can do that through a broker. You can do it yourself. You can go online, Fidelity, Vanguard, right? Anything like that. You can go online and open your own account. Okay. Um, And then you can work on the other side of the story are um, fee-based or fee-only advisors. And the difference there is that when I work for a commission, I have to meet what's called a suitability standard, which means that if you've told me, and my objective is growth, as long as whatever I sell you is growth-oriented, mm-hmm. I'm good, okay? When I work for a fee, and oftentimes the compensation levels are the same, but when I work for a fee, you're going to see it coming out of your account, okay. right? It's fully disclosed. That's, you're going to see it. That's the minus. Yes, um, actually, I think that's good because I think you should know what you're paying, right? When I'm paying, when you're paying a commission, you don't see it and you have no idea what you're paying. I have people tell me all the time, "Oh, I'm not paying anything." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, you are." Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> and, and thank you very much. You know, <laughs> let me show you. Um, but on a fee, you, you should see it. It's fully disclosed. It's transparent. And on the fee side, you're working as a fiduciary, which means I'm legally obligated to act in my client's best interest at all times, and the client has legal recourse against me for that. If you don't. If I don't. Right. So, and the fee side typically also, it's not reliant on me buying or selling something for you, right, to make money. Right. I'm going to get paid. And if your account goes up, I get paid more. If your account goes down, I get paid less. Right. Right. So it kind of puts you on the same side of the table as the client. But as far as is, is investing, okay, when you say, bro, I go online, how do I work with a financial planner such as Covington Alcina? I mean, if I've got, all right, let's say I get a Christmas bonus and I've got $25,000. And I say, hey, I want, I want to invest this. Do I come say, does that get transferred to you? Or do you work with a specific brokerage? Or a, how does... Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, generally speaking, you don't want to write a check out to um, an individual company or firm. Unless right? you want to write it out to me. It's John for... <laughs> F-R-E. <laughs> um, so the vast majority of us, whether you're working on the commission side as a brokerage or you're working with a financial advisor um, who's a fiduciary, a fee-based or fee-only advisor, we have custodians, right? And that custodian, it could be um, – I work a lot with SEI, Private Trust, out of um, Pennsylvania. Um, there are others. Fidelity, right, is one. It's a good custodian that a lot of advisors use. People will use their broker-dealer, LPL Financial, Merrill Lynch, whoever can be a custodian, right? And they're going to be the people who hold the accounts, Okay. For you, right? Whether that's if you're going online and doing it straight through Vanguard or you're working with an advisor and they may use Schwab or TD Ameritrade or right, any of those custodians. And so the account would be opened there. The money typically gets electronically transferred, although we can do checks. Um, and then the advisor is going to work with you um, or you would work with you know, the online platform if you're doing it yourself to select investments that are going to be appropriate for what you're trying to do. 
Now, most planners, um, like I, it's very rare for me, unless you're 14 and getting started, right? Or, you know, 18, a 22 year old, right. that we're going to just, someone your age, if you came in and said, Ann, I've got $25,000, I'm going to want to know a whole lot more about you, right? Because, well, before I invest that money, do you have emergency savings? Sure. If you have minor children, do you have life insurance, right? Do you have debts that we should be paying off instead of investing, right? I need to know a whole lot more about you before we just invest the money. Okay, and this is then I mean this is the advisor part of this whole thing. So but if I if I open up a, you know, if I send it to one of the um that word just escape me, but the if I if I put the money over there, then you're just sort of listed on that account as a as a partner if you will or a so fiduciary. We're the advisor on the account. Okay. Right? And and there's two types there. You can be discretionary or non-discretionary. A large majority of us are what we call non-discretionary, meaning I'm not going to place a trade in your account without calling you first. Okay. Right? I'm going to call and say, hey, John, you know what? I was looking at this, and I think given your age, we're probably a little too aggressive at this point. Or you've just told me that, hey, you know, you're thinking you really want to hang it up in another year. I think it's time to shift investments. Okay. So I'm going to call you, have that conversation, give you a, an explanation of what I want to do. You say, that sounds great, Anne. And then we move. Okay. And then you would work the transfer or whatever, mm-hmm. the sales, and, and to bring it right. down into a different type right. of an allotment. Right. Whereas if someone is a fully discretionary advisor, then they're going to be buying and selling or doing whatever without any input from you Okay, necessarily. Not okay. that you couldn't have input, but they don't need to call you to get permission to make a trade. Okay. Well, and, and you talked about the, the conversation that we would have to have if I you know walked in with you know a chunk of change to find out. And that's where the advisor part of this comes into. I mean, you're, there's so much more to you know financial planning than whatever the bank balance is at the end of the whatever the period may be. And I know that you've talked about on the Money Monday report, we've talked about insurances and obviously the 401ks at work and everything else. So this is all stuff that you need to really know about. I mean, you need to dig deep into everybody's – it gets very personal. It gets very – I mean, I imagine you've – You'd probably know an awful lot. You probably know a lot more about most people than than their family members do. I often say that I typically hear about marriages or proposals, divorces, births, pregnancies, job changes, all of that, oftentimes before many family members do. Um, it's always kind of fun. I had one client that um, he was bringing his girlfriend in, and I already knew he'd already bought the ring, uh-huh. but she didn't. And so we came in and were doing some planning work for them jointly. And she had no idea he was getting ready to propose to her next week. Right. Um, so it's kind of fun uh, being involved at that level. But, you know, it, it's a very personal relationship. And I think it's a little different than being a stockbroker, right, in the sense that it's not uncommon for me to be sitting in someone's hospital room with them. Well, a stockbroker is transactional-based, I think. I mean, and that's a I got to buy, I've got to sell. I've got to make money, I've got to lose money, whatever it may be. But this seems to be more of a relationship-based industry, if you will, than that. I mean, you know, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting married. You know, what do you think we should, you know, that's something that a stockbroker really doesn't care about. Right. And it's, it's everything, right? And again, like your stockbroker is not going to care what your health insurance is. But for us, health insurance can play a huge role in finances, right? I think I've, I've talked on, on the podcast about high deductible health plans and health savings accounts and what a great tool that can be. And that's part of your overall plan, even if it's not something that the planner is directly managing. Whereas a stockbroker, for the most part, doesn't really care about that because they don't get paid on that, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to take an hour with you to go through your health insurance options because it's not 
buying or selling is not generating that commission. So it is a very different relationship. Well, you need, and, and your education has to go far beyond the financial aspect of this as well. I mean, you, you're talking about uh, you know the stocks and bonds and investments and savings and, and the whole nine yards. You've got insurances. You've got you know, is there a disabled person in the family that we need to worry about? Um, what can we do there? I know I spoke with somebody at one point who was telling me just how complex the whole Medicare system is for somebody that has some means, but maybe not a lot of means. And it, and it's there's ways to finagle that. And it, it's mm-hmm. really a, a, a dance. It is. And it's interesting. I often tell people um, that our licenses, so you talk about the Series 7 as your stockbroker, your Series 65 is that investment advisor um, license. Those licenses really kind of talk about the regulations. And I always joke that it's basically a test of what can I go to jail for. And to me, it's hysterical that there's multiple choice, right? I can go to jail for five years. I can go to jail for 10 years. Is it A or B? And I'm thinking that should be true, false. Can I go to jail? Right, right. <laughs> I don't care how long, right? Um, <laughs> but they don't actually, those, those securities licenses test, don't actually test to see if I know anything about pension plans or health insurance or taxes or estate planning. I think it is important um, either to have somebody who has a lot of experience in the industry, who's learned all of that, or someone who has a designation. Um, So advanced designations, like the certified financial planner designation, that one requires not only a bachelor's, but eight additional college level classes. I want to say it was 3,000 hours of experience when I did it. Um, I think they've changed that a little bit. It was a two-day test. I had to drive up to Baltimore and sit in a hotel ballroom for two days um, taking a test. It's a pretty extensive designation. And then it requires ongoing, continuing education because the laws change, right? Just this past year, the CARES Act was huge. And before that, we had the SECURE Act and then the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And we can keep going back that that if you're not on top of all of that, right? right? You're doing your clients a disservice. Right. When does somebody need to think about working with a financial planner? I don't think there's ever a time when someone shouldn't. Uh, the, the, okay, okay, the, so, okay. So that that teenager that's working at the pool in the summer doing lifeguarding, obviously, this is not somebody that's going to be meeting with you every month. And right, you know, and that, that's a that's a once a year, right? Or maybe we're going to talk before they go off to college to talk about do they really want to take on those student loans? Catch me on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and then, but what we really start looking at is when people are first getting their first jobs, right? And maybe that's a time when, when you're talking job, you're talking career jobs, career jobs. Okay. So I'm getting out of college. I'm getting my first job and I'm signing up for all my benefits and I'm signing up for that first 401k. And maybe I need some help with budgeting and deciding how much of an apartment can I afford, right? Do I need to get a roommate? What do I need to do with all of that, right? Getting off on the right financial foot with financial planners, you can be um, fee only or pay for fee. So in other words, I don't necessarily have to have money to invest. I can come in and spend and pay for an hour of someone's time sure. and get some overall really good financial advice and get started off on the right foot. And then maybe as I go along, so maybe I first get started and they say, you know what, work on building your savings. Here's how we're going to set up your employee benefits. Put this much into your 401k. Here's your budget. And then maybe you go along two or three years and then you want to come back to that person. Right. Right. Assuming you don't already have a relationship with them because you started the Roth IRA when right, you were right. 14. Um, in those cases, they're probably going to want to meet with you at least once a year just to go over everything. Touch base. How are things going? What are you thinking career wise? How's the job going? All of that stuff. And then I always say, right, that the best time to plant an oak tree is 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Second best time is right. today. It is now. So it's never a bad time to talk with an advisor or a financial planner. And maybe, again, it's not 
I'm going to ha- commit to an ongoing lifelong relationship. Maybe we're just going to get a plan, an overview, pay for an hour a time, and then come back. I will say some planners, a lot of planners, a lot of brokers, stockbrokers have minimums, meaning if you don't have 100000 250000 a million, they're not going to take you on as a client. Okay. Um, and so you can just ask up front, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have a minimum? How much do you charge per hour to meet with me if I don't meet your minimum? Or will you meet with me if I don't meet your minimum? At Covington Alcina, I have been very fortunate, very blessed that I didn't have to operate that way. And so my minimum is that um, you have to be a decent human being and I have to like you. Um, Time for me to leave? Yep. (laughs) If you're rude to my staff, you're out the door immediately. You should take them out to lunch first, see how they treat the servers and the (laughs) busboys. Exactly. Um, But, you know, if you're a good person who is interested in getting advice and taking advice and wants to work with someone, then I don't really care how much money you have. Um, to me, it's that you're a good person. And if you're not, then I'm going to quote you some really outrageous fee. Um, I call it my, can I, can I say asshole premium on a podcast? Yeah, sure, go for it. Okay. Yeah, we call it's, it's, it. It's up to your people that are going to. Yeah. Your, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's what my bar it. is set very low here. <laughs> well, you can always call it the jerk premium, right? Because right. I figure um, either that's going to scare them off or they're going to pay dearly for the privilege of working with us. It's good to know. <laughs> Yeah, so if I'm quoting you ten grand, probably you should take the hint. <laughs> what does the average family person have saved? At what age? At what age should they have? And I guess I, I know there's a big difference between what they should and what they do. Uh, yeah, and that's that's really hard to give you a specific example because you know I have clients who have you know a hundred thousand dollars when they retire, but they have other income. Right, maybe they have a pension, maybe they have social security, and they live a very, very modest life. Their house is paid off, and or maybe they live with family, and they're okay. I have other clients that you know, just our distributions to them are fifteen or twenty thousand dollars a month, plus social security and sure. other income. So a lot of that is kind of dependent on the lifestyle you want and what you're looking for. I always say everyone always wants to say, says they want to travel in retirement, and I have to drill down, John. What, what does that travel mean to you? I've had five clients go to the Galapagos. Right. Right. At different times. And I've had multimillionaires say to me, well, you know, if we could just go to Myrtle Beach a couple weeks each summer and rent a place where we could bring the dogs, that would be great. Um, and then I have people who are going to be flying first class to Paris. So it, to say a certain person needs a certain amount of money, it's going to vary widely. And it all goes back to that, what lifestyle you're, you're looking for. Exactly. I'll tell you, Anne, one thing that I particularly like about your firm Practice firm? What's the proper term? Either one. I Either think one? firm. I usually say firm, but we'll go firm. with whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, and and you don't do a good enough job of promoting it on your Monday morning, but is the different classes that you offer. Um, and as, as a firm, you seem to be very sort of centered around investments and financial planning for females. Do you allow like men in your firm? Um, <laughs> well, you're here today, John. Um, so Special it's, exception, okay? Right. I had to go in the side entrance, though, and up the back steps. <laughs> so I might... We didn't let him in the front door. Um, he's wearing a dress, too, in case anyone's wondering. Um, no, it's interesting because we actually came about um, with the women focus. And it wasn't um, something I necessarily set out to do. But um, I was talking with my business coach, and we were looking at our brand. Right? Because I could throw a rock and hit 25 other financial advisors sitting in my office. Sure. And when they looked at everything that we do, they said, well, clearly your, your focus is on women. And I said, what do you mean? That's not clear. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but when they really spelled it out, I kind of went, oh, yeah. But it's funny because 
we've been doing Women, Wine, and Wisdom now for, mm-hmm. I want to say, over 13 years. And that's one of our, our signature events. It's held monthly. Before COVID, it was in a restaurant. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Right now, it's virtual, which means my alcohol bill for the office has dropped dramatically. <laughs> but um, we have it uh, once a month, January through October. And I started it because I would sit down sometimes with couples, sometimes with one person, and I'm explaining things and going through their plan. And oftentimes, the woman is just beating herself up. Well, does everybody, everybody knows that. I'm just stupid with money. I don't know anything about money. And I always say, and I had a nurse who was saying that, and I said, you know, you wouldn't trust me to put a pick line in somebody, but that doesn't make me stupid. So I started this because it was a great way to help educate people that I don't always have time to do in a one-on-one meeting and provide some really good information to women especially. So the Women, Wine, and Wisdom is women only for the most part. Um, sometimes women will say, can I, can I just bring John in with me? Right. For this one month. And I was like, yeah, but he has to shave his leg and sit in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) So so occasionally we will. But we find it sometimes changes the dynamic, right? Just like single sex education changes Mm -hmm. the dynamic. Um, We find that when it's just a group of women in there, they don't mind speaking up as much. Well, I think that the the wine wisdom and... Women, wine, and wisdom. Women, wine, and wisdom is, is stereotypically... You've got – look at a couple and, and the man handles the finances and the woman handles the dinner. You know, and with the divorce rates are still where they're at 50 percent, let's, let's be real about this. There's a good chance that you are going to get divorced or be single again. That you know, there's nothing worse, I've got to imagine, than a woman coming out of a marriage going, I know where Whole Foods is. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I mean, and that's and, – and that's, I, I mean, I, when, I, when I first divorced, I dated a woman whose – Husband was was very much like that, and as they were going through, I mean, you know, on the surface, everything looked very good. There was some wealth, there was the affluence, the whole nine yards. And in the end, she needed to bring money in to get out to it because they found out there was like day trading, and the house had been mortgaged four times, and she didn't realize that he had signed her name to this and that, mm-hmm. and, and really insulated this woman who needs that information to figure out. Okay, I mean, you're going to have to rebuild your life in. At some level, coming out of a divorce, whether you're male or a female, I mean, this is a whole new world. But certainly financial has got to be a huge part of that. And that seems to be a perfect fit for, you know, what what you're doing. Well, the statistic is that 90% of all women will be solely responsible for their finances at some point in their lives. Um, and that's a few years out of date now. I want to say that was 2016. So I'd imagine that number is even getting higher, especially as people are waiting longer to marry. The divorce rate continues. Um, Women are more likely to be a widow than a man is to be a widower. So, yeah, women definitely need to know about all these things. But what's interesting to us, um, in addition to Women, Wine, and Wisdom, we do Second Saturday, which is in partnership with the Women's Institute of Financial Education. It's a nonprofit. And so we do the second Saturday of every month. It's a workshop for women who are in the early stages or who are contemplating divorce. So it's myself, a family law attorney, and a therapist. And we walk through legal, financial, and emotional implications of divorce. But Beyond that, so if you see your wife walking into <laughs> Anne's office, that's, six, that's sixty-seven West Street on a second Saturday of the month. You might want to bring flowers <laughs> home that night. Um, <laughs> but it, so, so part of that is definitely that women need that education. But it's not just women who need it. And so it's interesting. We have men who call us and say, "Will you work with us? Can, can I work with you?" Because women, women definitely need some of this, but. A lot of times financial literacy is not a a female-only issue. And we have a lot of men who come in that like our approach. They like the education. They like the planning work that we're doing, um, the comprehensive, holistic nature of what we do. So we do have clients of both genders. Okay. Um, 
and I'm happy to work with everyone. It's just that a lot of our educational stuff has been focused primarily on women. Although we do other classes like the middle school allowance workshop. We do social security classes. We do Medicare classes. We do normally in November, we would be doing an antiques appraisal event, but it's kind of hard to pack 50 people in to a conference room right now. Understandable. Well, what have you done? You talked about virtual and everything else. What have you done for COVID? Has it really, has it affected your business? I mean, I I would have to think that when we were initially shut down, you were probably, are you considered as a financial planner in essential business? I know banks were. Yep. So um, the whole financial industry is considered essential. Okay. If you think about it, if we shut down and right, you're just losing your job and you can't call your broker to get any money. Yeah. Okay. That'd be terrifying. Um, So We were essential. We remained open. I came into the office alone, had my staff go home for a couple of months. We have shifted a large amount of our stuff to Zoom and doing virtually, not just our events, but a lot of client meetings, which has been great because we have clients all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so now with that shift, I'm like, why didn't we do this sooner? (laughs) Um, So we can do great meetings online like that. We still have people coming into the office because, like I said, it's a very personal relationship. Yeah. Um, so we installed UVC lights into our HVAC system, and we've got the HEPA filters running, and we sit at opposite ends of the conference table and all of that. Okay. So pretty safe. Yeah, pretty safe. Uh... But um, so in March, we took the opportunity to reach out and call all of our clients, touch base with them, rerun in their plan, update things if they wanted it, but just be there for them, explain that, yeah, it's really scary, but it's going to be okay. They didn't need to worry. Um S- and gotta, then we've just stepped up our communication a lot. It's got to be really reassuring just to know that. I mean, I, that would probably be the last phone call that I would expect personally on, you know, come March. And I think that's probably very reassuring and very comforting to the people that work with you. Yeah. It, it, you know, a lot of them said, oh, and, you know, I, I figure you'll call me if things are really bad. Right. <laughs> As, if, if I'm not hearing from you, I don't need to worry. And I said, well, you know, news is a little scary right now. So I wanted to reach out. <laughs> I want to touch base. You mentioned um, when I was talking about my kid trying to figure out where to put the stamp on the envelope, the a class was, it was Adulting 101. What is, what is that? And and again, I think, does that, you talk about bringing kids and young people into this. I mean, is this a family approach to financial planning? I mean, if a parent are, are working with you, I mean, just they're, are you working with their children as well type? So there's two pieces to that. One is that I consider this a family event. And actually, in some cases, I do work with multiple generations of the same family. So it's kind of fun in that regard. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so if I'm working with a parent, then we will always be happy to meet with and give consultations to their children as just part of what we do, because we do view it as a family, right? So that's part of it. The Adulting 101 class, um, part of me isn't real fond of that name, but that is based on our hierarchy of financial priorities. So if you ever took sociology in college, you learned about Abraham Maslow and his prior, uh, hierarchy of needs, right? Right. So it's kind of the same thing, but around money and finances. And I've given the talk, I don't even know how many times, to different community groups and business groups, women's groups. And it's based off of that. And what's really great about it is that this is our own hierarchy that we use for developing financial plans for people. What's the most important thing that you have to get done first? Once that's been done, what do we work on next? And it applies to everybody regardless of income. I actually gave the talk at one of my Women, Wine, and Wisdom. And I had a woman who was there, and um, I think their net worth is well into eight figures. And she said, you know, I almost didn't come um, because, (laughs) you know, I didn't really think this would apply to me. And she said it was fascinating how these same principles 
work with someone who's got $100 and someone who's got $100 million. And we see, you know, because the very first step on it is getting your will and legal documents in order. And how many times do you see some celebrity or someone who's worth millions who passes away without their estate in order? Sure. Yeah, well, we're all invincible. I mean, that's that's un- unfortunately what we what we think about. And I mean, I uh, and certainly I would hope that the current situation in the world would allow other people to think otherwise and and to have it. I know Scott McMullen, who's a friend of mine, an attorney in town. He has you know through COVID uh, has had to do a couple of uh, last minute will and testaments oh. from a hospital, and that's just abhorrent to sit there and think that that. Everything else that's going on in in the world, in your life, and with you, to have to worry worry about that. And I think that you know the whole relationship thing really makes a lot of sense. The best way to find out more information on you is probably your website, which is CovingtonAlcina.com. That's it. And we've also got a great Facebook page mm-hmm. with um, information about all of our events. And I will say, I want to spell this out, but it's because sometimes it doesn't say too well. But it's Covington, C O V I N G T O N. A L S I N A. Yes. And that's all one word dot com. And that's that's a hybrid of your names, isn't it? That's a- it is. Covington is my maiden name. Ooh, that sounds awfully British. <laughs> well, actually, um, the Covington side of the family, my uh, grandmother is a ball. And if you're familiar at all with American history, um, George Washington's mother was a ball. Oh. Um, we actually had my great five times great grandfather had the land next door to Mount Vernon and is mentioned in the general's diary. Very cool. Yeah. It turns out we owed him money, but (laughs) 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 which we paid off when, when he passed away, right? His estate settled the debt. I still don't owe George Washington any money, but you know, Hey, before we leave, you had mentioned before about the wine, women, wine and wisdom doing, um, it for 13 years. Now, how long have you been around? So um, I moved to Annapolis. Um, My husband at the time was active duty Navy. He came back to work as a company officer at the academy. So we moved to Annapolis in 2004. And another local firm had hired me and I had affiliated with them. And I left them in 2012 and started Covington Alcina then. Literally put my filing cabinet on wheels and went down to Gloucester into my first office. So, but I started Women, Wine, and Wisdom as my own signature event when I was still with that other firm. Very cool. Okay, so you, you're almost coming up on ten years in a little bit. Getting close, and then um, that's exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. But what? Um, so, what's next for you guys? Or is there not? A, is there a next? Um, we are you're just expanding. Or are yes, you just here? We are um, actually. I just sent in the paperwork this morning. We're working with a recruiter. We really want to find some really talented advisors who want to come on board and help us take really good care of our clients. Right? I I am so fortunate. I work with some of the coolest, most amazing people. Like I, I just absolutely love my clients. I always say I don't do anything really interesting myself, but I live vicariously through them. And so it's we the best wanna, way to do it. Yeah, we want to find some really good people who want to take really good care. Um, and long term, we'd like to open a couple more offices a little further south. But for right now, we just want to focus on building the Annapolis. What are you getting, that snowbird itch? I have clients <laughs> already in South Carolina and Florida. And so uh, <laughs> it would not be bad. It, would, it wouldn't stink. It wouldn't stink. Oh, and thank you very much. And I think this has just been really fascinating for me. And I think for anybody that's been listening, um, if you are interested in acquiring a, well, they wouldn't acquire you, but they would, uh, in working with a financial planner, which everybody should. And that, you know, if you're just getting your first job, I mean, it might be worth a phone call and an inquiry through the website. Again, CovingtonAlcina.com. Come into, you, do you need to be a client to attend any of your classes? The Adulting 101 or the Women, Wine, and Wisdom? Yes, I got it right the first time. 
No. Um, so when we do our events in person, um, there's a charge, but um, if you're not a client, there's a charge, although we always say you can type in the word first and attend any one of them at no charge first time. But since we've gone virtual on everything, then we've waived our fees. Okay. Um, and because we just want to get the information out to people in this really crappy time. Well, I think that's a admirable thing. I think it's, you know, very nice of you and generous of you to be able to do that. Partake your wisdom that you've accumulated after all of these years. Again, but if you're interested in investing, if you're interested in figuring out your financial life, which really does encompass a whole lot more than just whatever's on the bottom line of that piece of paper that your boss signs every week, which they don't sign them every week anymore now. (laughs) You know, that it's a lot more than just the paycheck that you get at the end of the week. It's insurance. It's, you know, where you are in your life. It's the lifestyle that you want. It's the needs that you and your family may have. And we all have a different situation and everything is is very custom. So I think uh, well needed, well deserved. And I again, I can't thank you enough for your insight, your calming insight on Monday mornings. And I look forward to hearing from it next Monday as well. And the Monday and the Monday after that. But and thank you very much. Thanks, John, for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, real quick. Do that disclaimer for me, please. Real quick. Can you do it? Put you on the spot. Oh. Come on. And if this job doesn't work out, you've got a great job as a car salesman. Okay? So let's. <laughs> oh, see, I normally read it off. Um, Securities offered through LPL Financial, member for ICPC. Investment advice great, offered through Great Valley Advice Group, a registered investment advisor. Coming to see it in Great Valley Advisor Group or separate entities from LPL Financial. Yes. <laughs> This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.